We're back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm through. That's Roth. How are you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. What's happening? It is Defector Offsite Week, so we're recording this one in advance. Uh, Roth, you and I, as this podcast is being posted, we're congregating at a lakeside cabin resort all together as a Defector staff. Will Serial Killer wipe us all out during our stay? God, I Maybe. hope so. Yeah, it would be, it would be pretty fucking cool yeah. if that happened. Like, I would like to be, I'd want to be the first one. To go. It's like I don't want the dread of being the last one. Yeah. Where like yeah, you're like, not, oh, I'm gonna stress. go hide in my car, and that doesn't work because you've all of a sudden you've boxed yourself in, you've already fucked yourself over by hiding in a car. Yeah, the first one's the one that people remember, and then maybe I think the best case for me in this case would be to get the impaling one, because there's always an impaling one. Yeah. Or or be the one who gets murdered while while you're fucking. Then, yeah. Oh well, that's yes, yeah, ideal. Course, like at least I'm you're married. getting laid, and then you know, I mean, shit goes and you awry die because you're getting laid. Yeah, yeah. Your your horny teenage hubris uh, came back to bite you in the ass. But it like, would be a bummer if we were doing one of our like four hour culture meeting things that you do at an offsite, and then you start hearing the like. Like I think that would be that would really be a drag. And we all start doubting each other. Like, what if it's what if it's Tom Lay? Who can you trust? He's so quiet. He's always been a quiet one. That Tom Lay. He's got a mustache. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever actually, Roth? Have you ever been to a business offsite? Hell no. No, that is not the type of career uh, trajectory that I was on. I had like. You know, I've had a lot of, like, shitty office jobs and, like, email jobs and stuff like that. But, it like, Tops was not renting, like, a hotel suite somewhere where we all went and talked strategy. Like, if they were, I was not invited to that. Like, that was for the guys that had, like, I don't, like wore um, firsthand clothing to the office. Like, right. I was mostly just sort of left to sit with, like, the quality assurance people and uh, make sure the copy on the back of the baseball cards was clean. I remember I had to go to one back when I was... Not, I was not a copywriter yet in advertising. I was one of the like assistant account executives, and I cannot remember where the offsite was. It was somewhere anonymous, you know, like a lot of these offsites, they're not good, they're not at like a resort, like ours is gonna be at a resort, which is very right. ooh la la, yeah. But most of them are at, are, are at office parks or you know, at like, like at a courtyard inn, like stuff like yeah. that. Like, so this was one that was like at a hotel in a hotel ballroom. And I was still, I was a young professional. I was like, okay, I'm going to be professional. I'm, I'm not going to get too drunk at the dinner and all that stuff. I got fucking wasted at yes. the dinner. Just Hell absolutely yes. fucking, like, because it was free booze. Like, I was still at the age where if you see free booze, it's like, it's the greatest fucking thing that's ever happened. Right. Like, oh it my is, God. <laughs> which is unfortunate because it's like, it, I still love it. You know, I, yeah. I've always loved it. I, I will continue to do that. And yet I feel like the opportunities that I had at that age, I was basically like, this could stop at any time. Yeah. Like, so you have to start now. Like, you have to ask someone for, like, a triple scotch. They won't tell you no. When am I going to get the chance to binge drink again? Ever? I'm not going to be able to find it. I remember being at one that it was a like Christmas party for my wife's the, a place where she was temping at the time of freelancing uh, as a bookkeeper. And I remember talking to someone from her work holding two gin and tonics that were both for me. But just like holding them while I was talking to someone and being like, yeah, well, you know, I'm like trying to do some writing, but right now I'm a worker. I'm like, I don't think that I was aware of how I was presenting. It was just to me, I was like, well, you're going to drink them both. Right. So you might as well get them. And that, uh, I, you know, sort of, it's hard to feel too embarrassed about it. That was like 18 years ago. 
but uh, it's pretty embarrassing on its merits. I remember when I first met my wife, she was working at an auction house. Now, that sounds very fancy, but my wife yeah. is not like, she's not all that hoity-toities. But, um, and this was an auction house. It was Sotheby's. I can just say it's Sotheby's. And she was not like, she was not like the head of auctioneer one. of Sotheby's. She wasn't like, she wasn't that, uh, that high up. Like her, her boss was like a piece of shit who like, was in that world, like very, very pretentious yeah. and like bossy and like stiletto heels that were nine inches long and she would use them to spike you in the eye and shit like that. <laughs> anyway, they would, but Sotheby's had, would have parties on their, like, um, it wasn't the roof, it was like the, the top level or whatever, the penthouse of their fucking office building. Or this is the one on York Avenue in like the 60s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then they would, and they would display artwork that was going on sale the next week or the next night and so they would have patrons come in and they would ply them with drinks and with food and it was all it was all really fucking good food and really good booze and my wife was like and trust my wife at the time she's like you can come with me to this and i was like oh yeah hell yeah free booze and food and we go around and i get to look at the paintings <laughs> but don't lick the brancusi sculpture that's I can't right emphasize that enough and then you flash forward two hours later and you're like Aah. well that's the thing so <laughs> so there's a few things one is I'm walking around, I'm looking at the art with my wife, and there's an old couple standing in front of a painting by this guy named Glackens, like a renowned artist. I'm sure the painting was worth fucking $300,000 or right. something like that. And the woman looks at the husband, she goes, this is not a good Glackens, not good at all. Like, <laughs> very, like, very royalty energy coming yep. from her. And I was like, and ever since that day... Like, whenever something's bad, my wife and I are like, that's not a good Glackens. <laughs> so anyway, so a I'm minor like, work. I'm like three wines or four wines in. Like, I'm at, like I'm already well past the stage where you're not counting how many drinks you have. Right? You've like, activated purple teeth mode like, on their where, ass. Like by, the, like, by the time I got to college, I didn't do the thing where, like, if I'm only, if I'm counting my drinks... It's only so I can brag about how many drinks right, I had right. to another person. And even then, the count's not going to be accurate. It's going to be like, oh, I had 40 beers. And it's yeah. not like, you had 30, but that's still too many. So I've, I've had a lot of wine, and God knows what else. And my wife is like, oh, shit, I have to move this painting uh, from the archives somewhere else. Will you help me? And I was like, are you sure about that? And she was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all right. So she goes and she takes me to a back room. And I'm like... I'm terrified. I'm too terrified to even be horny and be like, let's get it on. Like, I'm just like, all right. I'm like, I if I... Like, if I break this glackens, yeah, it's over. If I, yeah, if I <laughs> fucking ruin this painting, like, my girlfriend's going to dump me and I'm going to get sued for half a million dollars or something like that. And I moved it and I didn't and I didn't break it and we successfully did it. And I was like, all right, I'm in. I'm good. I done. Now You were just like at that point instantly secure that you could be like an art thief if you needed to be. You're like, this is not hard. Like I can do it drunk. The question is getting through the window with the glass cutter. What's funny is my wife is doing her an art show of her own work. Like we're 20 years later now. Mm -hmm. uh, her, uh she's doing a show of her own work locally, like in a in a week or two. And she had me frame all of her paintings because she bought these frames and then we had to, you know, you have to put them into the painting, right? And for one of them, I drove two fucking nails through the other side of the painting so that there were, I drilled the holes. So mm. I drilled, I desecrated her own artwork. And I was like, oh my fucking that's God. Kind of, I mean, that's not what you want. 
But it's also one of those things where I think you kind of get that when you're like trying to be like, let's save some money and just have Drew Bear frame it. That's like, you sort of get what you get at that point. Well, she was like, also like, she was like, look, it was, I'm not going to buy those those canvases again. They're cheap canvases. And I was like, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably what happened to it was probably the canvas was (laughs) had a problem. I could just put on my my mechanic voice or what you got there, see, is a bad canvas. (laughs) That's your problem. Oh, That's, yeah, you see that all the time. You <laughs> see, see it all the time. You got to get a good canvas in there. Otherwise, so you're going to be screwed. On framing, my father-in-law is now dedicated to teaching himself framing. He uh, Get the fuck a, out. He's an antique guy, uh, which is to say, like, he knows the value of everything. And he lives in Maine, where there's everything, as we've said, every item that ever entered Maine is still in Maine, in circulation through a series of junk shops and dumps and take-it-or-leave-it rooms. It really is the secondhand state. It's the it's state you would buy at a flea market. It really yeah. is. And, you know, sometimes there's stuff that where you're like, wow, that's remarkable. And then sometimes there's, you know, books that in every way deserve to have been turned into paper pulp. Yes, you know, just right. like... A book about like microwave cuisine from 1989, and you're just like that needs to be turned into toilet paper. It is the only thing that could redeem its continuing existence. But that's for sale for like three dollars in a one of those like we have a million books stores that you see as you drive up Route One. That's the thing is anyway. that like uh, like Antiques Roadshow and shows like that always give you the impression um, that not not just that like specific items are uh, secretly quite valuable that but all antiques are. Yes. And that's absolutely not the case. Like 99.99% of old things are fucking garbage. Just right. Absolute dog shit. And this is something I've tried to get through to my father-in-law in some ways. Not, you know, I don't want to be aggressive about it. It's like, it's his business. He knows it very well. He does make a little bit of money. And, and he's, he's not retired. your dad. So you can't. He's not my dad. So you can't be too heavy with it. But a lot of it is just sort of like, you know, you can see what something is listed at online. That is not, that is its price. It is not its value necessarily. And so that like if a bunch of people are trying to sell like a candy dish for $20, like you have to say just go with God at that point because I don't know how many candy dishes are getting sold new or used anywhere in the world at this point. <laughs> like we are losing the people that fill candy dishes with candy and they are not being replaced with new people that fill candy dishes with candy. And it I is a candy some... dish, Ned. $90. <laughs> And anyway, so uh, he wants to get into framing because he has all this art uh, that he gets. Uh, Some of it is good, you know, by local artists. There are a lot of people that make art up there. But then the frames are kind of junky. And also framed stuff, framed junk, is one of the easiest things that you can find at what they call the transfer stations, which is the nice way of saying a dump in all the small towns (laughs) that he goes to. And so he will go and get framed junk and be like, I'm going to use the frame. And so the house is just like filling up with like, weird yellowed wedding photos and like water damaged posters all and things that are in frames that he's then going to reuse at some point once he learns how to do it well that's just it, it is, like the frames are often more valuable than the art yes uh, within them and like nicer and i didn't realize that until i married an artist and i was like oh you can just get a frame at fucking michael's and she was like no 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 no, no. Like, yeah if you want a good frame like, it, it takes some doing. Like, the frame itself is the art. And I was like, oh, huh. Yeah. Our, I would say that this sums up a lot of things about how my wife and I have conducted our lives as consumers. That We have a lot of stuff in our house that's like, it's a piece of art that we liked that cost us $70 and then the frame cost $180. Yeah. Because we needed to get it framed professionally. And that is just like, 
that's not how you do it. I mean, I'm aware that that is backwards, but that is just how we have lived our lives. At this yeah, point. I was, uh, but that definitely, that's something that triggered my dad reflex instantly where, and I don't, I don't quite have this instinct anymore, but like I used to be like, if anything costs more than $5, I was really appalled by it. I was like, what? Like that's more than $5. Are you fucking kidding me? Like all of my, all of my, like, in my mind, all of my appropriate pricings come from like 1982. Yes. Or from like just when the last time you were like when I was a kid in high school buying a sandwich, I was like, this is what a sandwich costs. You know this. Right. And then I never updated that figure to account for the fact that you can't get anything for six ninety nine anymore. Yeah, it's annoying. It's annoying to live through that because I used to be the guy who'd be who'd be like, Ah, look at the old guy saying, like, Oh, I remember when an orange right. cost a nickel. An onion was a nickel. Yeah. You're yeah, like, yeah. Shut yeah. up. And now <laughs> I'm that motherfucker. Yeah, now sucks. I'm the guy who's like, Whoa, who will I have to blow to get a burger for two bucks in this town? And I can't. hate it. And it's also, it definitely like explains why certain things have been like, like why it's important to have like the $1 menu. And I mean, some of that is like because they want to be able to sell like the maximum value, you know, or maximum volume of stuff. But it's like there are a lot of, we are legion that there's a lot of people that are just like a chicken nugget should cost. 13 cents, which it did when I was a child. And like, they will keep that price more or less there simply so that when we see it, we're like, oh yeah, like nuggets, the eternal food. Well, also like that is like not to take a serious turn and I don't like doing the bleak form pivot, but like there have been studies about how Dollar General and Dollar Tree have become the de facto grocery stores of certain small towns in America. So like, it's not just that they're catering to, to people who have like a luxurious dad reflex like you or I might have, but like also people who are legitimately poor and right. don't have any other option. So, yeah. uh, so there's there's that. So it's like it's almost as if the pricing has followed, and this would be wholly appropriate, uh, the wealth inequality of the United States itself. Yeah. Right. So also, and of course, rounding it out perfectly, uh, some of the worst places to work that have ever been invented. Yeah, I, I cannot. They just like mandatory unpaid overtime, like just shitty experiences all around yeah we're gonna fix it by the end of this podcast we are going to solve the problem of food deserts well you know is that what right? is that what we had on the rundown or did you want to just talk about sports well no because then it would it would be a good chance for me to extol the virtues of five below because everything there is five dollars Instead of is that one. what five below is? Yeah, five dollars and below. That's why it's called five. It doesn't. I thought like, it was. You thought, I thought it was, it was cold? A snowboarding did equipment. You, store. Did you think? Like, <laughs> I thought it was something to do with like. You thought it was a wear. fucking like, REI? Yeah, like it's like, but like you know, like sort of edgier. Like they don't sell ski shit. It's snowboard shit. No man, it's five dollar general. It's fucking awesome. I, okay. Like, like I, if I ever need like a bouncy ball. Like like an, a fairly decent quality bouncy ball, <laughs> and the one that didn't come out of a fucking claw machine. I can get one at five below. It's pretty good. That's where we're going to go as a team to get the kickballs that we need for our company offsite. I'm bringing Scrabble, and uh, like if Luis beats me in Scrabble, I'm going to be a little pissed. So this is something that I I don't think I knew, which is weird because, you know, we're in decent touch. You've become a Scrabble boy? Like that's just like you've, this is a a new element of your personality? Or have you all, okay. It's it's my entire life. In fact, like I... (laughs) It, it is. No, I, I, I mean it. And I don't, um, I haven't written about it and I will, I will write about it. Um, cause I want to, I've been, I've been thinking about it. Like there are certain things that stick around in my, my mind for a long time. And then I finally write about them. And those usually end up 
not surprisingly being pretty good posts. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to write about that because I've been playing Scrabble, um, God, since I was like eight, nine, like, and I learned it at the, you know, from my grandma, and I play with my parents, and I still play with my dad when he comes to visit. He's coming to visit this weekend, and we'll play again, and uh, and I love it. I thought for a, a moment, like a quick cup of coffee, because I spent a lot of this year sort of. Um, taking myself out of our company Slack and taking myself off social media and stuff like that. And I filled that void by playing a lot of Scrabble. And I was like, ah, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should like start playing competitive Scrabble. And I thought about it. And then I was like, no, because I would get yeah. my ass kicked. <laughs> that right. sucks. Which I think would be like maybe a little bit less fun. Like we know people that have done uh, competitive crossword puzzle stuff. And it's like, yeah. even the ones that are good at it, Brian Joyner, the writer, wrote something uh, for us at the last site that was about, like, joining a tournament. And, like, it did pretty well, but, like, there's just, you're made aware that, like, however good you are, that there is this, like, there's a tier or two of people above you that just, their brains are, are different. And I guess you'd have to say better than yours. And that's yeah, just how I it don't, is. I don't like that. Like, I'm not, I'm not a high school kid applying for college anymore. I don't have to be aware of competition. Yeah in my life anymore and I don't really want to be like I'm into biking now and I was like maybe I maybe I should do like a bike race I don't want to do a bike race I just want to fucking tootle around yeah, do a bike path. ride it's the same thing it's fine yeah. you're good I just want to ride I have to tell you I'll, I'll tell you a story I just told I my just wife I just want to ride I went on a I went on a long ride today and on the ride back on the way back I, I was going up a hill and it was a pretty merciless hill so I was standing up and I was working I was cranking and I was swinging the you know, the handlebars from side to side to really work myself up. Like, and a dude coming from the other direction, a runner was coming by, and he gave me a little a little round of applause, not sarcastic, as I was pushing up. And I was like, thanks so much. And that made my fucking day. I was like, yeah, that guy <laughs> fucking knew what I was going through, and that was bitching. I nice. enjoyed that. Quite the brotherhood bit. of those who push it to the limit. That's right. Let's, uh, let's push it to the limit by taking an ad break, and we'll come back oh, and good. answer some fun bad questions. We'll be right back. <laughs> And we're back with David Roth, Defector. It's so it's nice to have him on the podcast for the very first wow. time. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, let's remember a guy. I was very heartened last week. Someone tweeted us that they were always very happy when we remembered a guy that they remembered. And so I don't <laughs> want to make the degree of difficulty for guys too hard because then mm-hmm. it's not really fun. You, need, you want, you yeah, want the, the light to, to go remember. on for pretty much everybody. So your guy of the week, I think it's a pretty easy one. It's uh, former Giants Super Bowl legend Mario Manningham. You remember him, Roth? Yes, very well. And uh, a Michigan football legend as a well. Michigan football. He was fantastic at Michigan. And then he had that fantastic catch in the second Giants upset of the, uh, of the Patriots in the Super Bowl in 2011, or the 2011 season. It took place in 2012, but I don't like splitting that hair. So. But he was a, he was a fabulous... He, he, he was a good player. I enjoyed watching him. Yeah. Play. He was also one of those guys that Michigan for a while would... I guess they were still doing this as recently as like Donovan Peoples Jones and stuff, where they would get these guys that were obviously NFL caliber receivers, and then they just would have never not even Chad Henney throwing the ball to them, and you'd sort of be like, "Well, I, I assume you're good, like because you were very highly regarded, and like it might be that you have a John Navarre problem. Maybe that's what the issue is." But like Manningham had a good NFL career, even though like you know with a lot of these guys, I remember like David Terrell, he was like a top ten pick. Yeah, out of there, and it's like he didn't even look that good in college necessarily. Like he made some good path, like catches, 
But it wasn't the sort of thing where he was like doing volume numbers the way that like SEC receivers can do now. Well, that was because of like the pre pre Harbaugh and even with Harbaugh, the Michigan offense was play action pass, bootleg out, throw it to the tight end. Like the yep. like the bread and butter play of every offense from like nineteen ninety. Like that was and then like, they just kept it for the longest time yep. because they were like, if you remember, we won the uh, national championship in 1987 playing this way or whatever. And that's like, I guess it's where you got to give Harbs his, his due. The good old ISO waggle pass. We, we, we love it. It's time for the fun bag. And this is from Aaron. This is a hard one, Roth. When one is executing a successful walk fart, do the blasts <laughs> blown between strides count as one flatulence or do we count that as several flatulai it's a great question so if it comes uh, out if your fart comes out and dribbles is that one fart mm-hmm. or is that a series of multiple farts i think that i would think of it as being a one like a multi-movement fart something like symphonic i guess would be a, the word a prog fart use. Right, yes. <laughs> it's kind of it's, it has an interlude. There's like, you know, like there's a, a bridge solo. and a chorus. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think I mean the idea of it's, I have a vivid memory of being at a family event. It's like a Seder probably, where an older guest got up to go to the bathroom and with every step that he took, he made a fart that sounded exactly the same. So he was just like pamp, 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 pamp Ooh. as he walked down the hallway to the bathroom and I had a very hard time not laughing. Uh, which is to say that I did, I laughed a lot. Uh, and at the time I was like, yeah, he made, uh, you know, like 20 farts on the way to the bathroom. I think in general, that's like, uh, I was padding the stats. It was inflation. Mm. That this was basically like, it was a, a fart that was expressing itself in that way. And I probably did him a disservice. I don't is know. I, I like stat padding and I okay. like, I like fantasy football. So like I, I would treat it like PPR. I would I would consider each one, <laughs> each point, points per fart. I would. So in this case, this is like the like the Tyler Lockett game from last week, where it's like nine receptions for seventy yards. That's right. That's like the, all right. Well, on the on the on the flip side of that, so I was at my son's back to school night, and I was crowded into the 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 room with uh, I think it was his English teacher, and I was at the back, sitting at the back, and I really had to fart. Like, I really, I, I, and I was like, you know what? Like, she was talking to the class, and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm like, I'm 45 years old. I'll be 46 mm-hmm. in a week. And I was like, all right, I, I know my butt now. I can let this one out silently and, and get away <laughs> with it, and I'll be all right. So I started doing it, and right then it was like, pfft, like a loud pop. And I was Puff. like, and I was like, fuck. And I, and I cinched back up, and I look around, no one looked at me, and I was like, I was like, they they know I did it, but they're all nice enough to not look yep. in unison. There's no way that they don't know. But the fart was still within me. I had not gotten rid of all the gas. And so I can see how you would interpret that as a fraction of a fart yep. and not an entire fart. An unfinished one. It was an will. unfinished fart. So That's tragic. That's one of the most, first of all, that's one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard. Thank you. <laughs> It was important. You know, I, I, you know, it's important we see both sides. Um, you know, I read about all in uh, Axios' uh, company memo about yeah. how we need to be punchier, but also more confident and truthful. In what be we're smart. Saying. Yeah. Why it matters yeah. that you can 
<laughs> so if your fart, if a single fart comes out in bullet points, I guess that is sort of the top. You know, the that is basically. Parts. So this is we've cracked the code. That that's in the same way that like you know that is an Axios paragraph. It just happens to be broken down into bullets. Sometimes that's you take the Axios approach to a walking fart, and then sometimes it's more of a essayistic. Uh, expression. Steve writes in, we are facing a serious quarterback crisis, but it has nothing to do with talent. Instead, the league is filled with marquee QBs who you would never want to hang out with in a million years. Russell Wilson might be the biggest dork on the planet. Aaron Rodgers is devolving into a 14-year-old edgelord in real time. Tom Brady is turned into a mutant. Kirk Cousins is, well, you know all about Kirk Cousins. Patrick Mahomes has the worst wife-brother combination in a long time. Josh Allen is awesome, but also loves sending racist tweets as much as he loves throwing TDs. Jameis Winston is a rapist. Kyler Murray loves COD more than playing football. Lamar only stops getting COVID long enough to shit his pants on TV. Only your son, Drew, Joe Burrow, seems like they would be fun to be around. How does this get fixed? And by the way, this email was not sent by Rob Manfred Roth. I just want you to know that. Do we have an NFL quarterback personality problem? I think maybe a little bit, but I don't think it's necessary. I mean, it's not like there were there was a bumper crop of like cool guys that played quarterback. That's the problem. You know, it's like, a few years like ago. Joe Montana was, <laughs> was like had no fucking personality. Yeah, so it's all. like what it was when we were younger was like white guys from outer Pittsburgh. And then like and you know, probably less so than it is now. I mean, like now the thing with this is that there's a lot of it's a lot of rich kids and a lot of like legacy guys and people who like got chosen for this stuff early in their lives and like that's not to say that they didn't earn it like the fact that Patrick Mahomes is like the son of a major league baseball player and has been like groomed for this forever doesn't take away from how cool it is that he's Patrick Mahomes it's just like i think that there's a sort of a uncanniness that comes with specialization in the way that like even that baseball players tend to fit into like three different templates for how they present at this point you know that there's like a wet guy uh like a sort of an evangelical-ish guy and then there's like um people that are covered in hair like beard dudes and that's sort of it you know and then there's like you know some california variants i'm not going to get into it but with football players i do think that there is this element of like of course they're weird because they're nfl quarterbacks and they like there's only like 50 people with that personality walking around on earth at any given time. Right. And then also like, yeah, there's that, like the sort of the sorting of it also like, you know, I feel like Lamar Jackson could be fun to hang out with. Like, I feel like you don't want to just say that like Joe Burrow, cause he seems like the closest to somebody who might vote like me of any of these people. Like, I don't want to, but I, I will say that like the Russell Wilson type of weirdo is like, I think that might be new. Well, I don't think that he's all that different from like Brady or from no. Tiger Woods or for any sort of just sort of anodyne sentient brand guy. Like I don't I think I think that he is of a of a greater sort of collective of personality free dipshits. I don't think that yeah. he's all that special. I just feel like with him there's something that's like I guess it's a degree of guardedness. But I remember so I've come back to this, I'm sure we've talked about it on the podcast. When he was trying to do a nice tweet about his wife, Sierra. Right, and he was he was Googling. And he Googled, like, how to describe beautiful woman and just used the first result from that. And it's like, it's not just that she's your wife. It's like, it's Sierra. Like, I could write you something right now. It's not hard, you know? But, like, there's something that just wasn't computing there. Uh, 14-year-old me really respects that because, like, I would, like, I would pass off, like, really sincere movie quotes 
uh, to girls <laughs> as my own words, like to seduce them or like to Hell yeah. now, seduce is way too strong a word just to get them to pay attention to me. It failed. Like I remember. There was Do you think a someone line... that Alec Baldwin speech from Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, and no, class, it was like, uh, wow, no, it's intense. It, it was more esoteric than that. Like, do you remember Good Morning Vietnam? Very, very good movie, right? Yeah. And uh, and there was one point where Robin Williams he spies um, Fong Duc Tho's sister. He wants to go out with Fong Duc Tho's sister, and he says, "Listen," he says to her, "He says, I know there's no way, but I'll take what I can get because I just want to be with you." Like he's very sincere about. It. I said that to a girl; she couldn't give a fuck. Shit. <laughs> You're like, I realize the stakes are a little bit different because we're at a private high school right now. Yeah. So there's definitely a way. And there's, <laughs> but yeah, well, that's a, uh, that's, I think that's like sort of how you become a person, you know, is you just assimilate enough stuff that you think is cool into your actual personality until it becomes your personality. And then you're there. Uh, th- the thing is that like, I don't, I don't need my quarterbacks to have like an amazing personality. The ones that do end up being like, it's either like Joe Namath, who had a good personality, but really wasn't all that good of a quarterback, or Baker Mayfield, who seemed to have a personality and did like really kick-ass ads. Like I really thought those were good ads. Yeah. But he's also a dickhead. So like you know, there's not really, there's this no way a, in there because I anytime, think that's totally true. This is an, a lesson that we like continue to fail to learn as a species that just because someone dude. has decent comic timing does yeah. not mean that they're like. Uh, anything but somebody who can learn comic timing. Yeah, I was like, oh, didn't we learn this lesson with Kobe Bryant? Of course we didn't. Kobe is a, has been fucking sainted now. Like, there's yeah. no, like, like, just like, it's it's a lesson that we, that we keep having to learn over and over again. Nobody you know what I appreciate it. in retrospect more now, though, is like the Philip Rivers type. Yeah! Because that is a guy who, like, was very obviously crazy. Like, I mean, just was like, one of the, like, he would blink like five times a year and, like, communicate in a series of, like, high-pitched clicks. Like, he was just not like any other guy. And yet it was clear that, like, the guys that played with him loved playing with him. Fucking, they all loved him. And he was, I, I liked Marmalade. I really did. I, yeah, I, by the end, I loved him. Like, his stint on the Colts, I was like, I wanted him to win a Super Bowl. Like, I didn't yep. want fucking, like, I don't know who won the Super Bowl that year. But I, like, oh, I think it was the Chiefs Super Bowl. Yeah, so it was, like, kind of hard to. Yeah, all right, hard to. But I, 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 I was rooting for him. Toward the end. Plus, also, like, you know, he'll get into the Hall of Fame, but he was like, you know, he was sort of the third wheel behind Eli and Ben because they had a couple of titles. Yeah. But, you know, I can't, I don't really know that Eli Manning was a better quarterback than Philip I Rivers. certainly don't think he Big was a better ben quarterback. Ben probably was, but. Yeah. Eli, it's just not fun to talk about. No. I think, uh, and Rivers also, like, aged gracefully in a way that neither of those guys did. Yeah. Like, he just, he could do less and less, but he did it very well. He was, he was wily. He was yes. like a... I mean, like, it's one of those things, you can only use cliches to describe it. But yeah, like, he just sort of, like, stayed doing a good job in the way that, like, I think you're more... Eli was just uh, drawing dead because the Giants were so fucked at that point. Yeah, but yeah, Roethlisberger yeah. would just, like, try to make throws that he couldn't make anymore, you know? And that was like only, a like, a year, you know? It wasn't yeah. like... He was He was pretty fucking good for 20 years. Yeah. You know what, you know what cliche I'm going to use for, for Rivers? Uh, crafty veteran. Yes. I like it when they, they transfer over to crafty veteran status. Like the fucking, you know, some like some starter who's like 38 years old, like a fucking Negro, and like, you know, can 
can like throw like a, the ball only like 37 miles an hour, but like it's yep. Bill or Joe Necro. And so they, they're going to win 18 games anyway, just because just throwing absolute fucking weeds and garbage at people, they can still figure the it out. The Necros were the best at that too, because they looked so old in the oh. way that only ball players could look in yeah. the 70s and 80s. Or you know what? Let's remember another guy, Charlie Huff. Remember how fucking old oh that God. dude looked? Yes. The oldest he looked like a character from No Country for Old Men. Like, he should have been, like, in the cabin where Tommy Lee Jones shows up, and he's like, you ever tell me how my grandpappy died in all six? Charlie Huff should have answered that question. Fuck yeah. <laughs> like, I loved all that. Like, a guy who may as well go out to the mound with a Stetson on, like, just... Yep. Uh, like a like a belt buckle the size of your face. He I also know. was like he retired. He was old for a major leaguer. He wasn't like older than Jamie Moyer was when he was done. It no, was just one of those things old. where like, yep. And it was you know as a as a country we had like um, sunblock was not popular. Like the only things that you could eat or drink were just like various sizes of steaks and then variously long pours of cutty sark. Like that was just it. That was like health food at the time. It is. It's a reminder. At my age, that um, you know, I think I look all right for for someone yeah. who's, who's in mid forties. But there are people who are in their mid forties who look very mid forties, and like I'm like, wow, that person's my yeah, age. This is Do I look like kind that? of in some ways? It's like a, a really dumb way to flatter your own vanity. But we're at both at this age now, where you're sort of like, wow, I'm the same age as Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves. And I'm he older looks than like, Rayon DeSantis, Raw. Yeah, it and. Like and they look like DeSantis looks like a kid walking around in his dad's suit. Yeah. Tate Reeves looks like a thumb that has some sort of infection going on in it. <laughs> like it's fine. It makes me feel good. I'm glad. I'm glad to be more youthful looking than our uh, foremost reactionary elected official. I actually I, I tweeted this and I meant it. Like I think it came across as jokey, but like so like my wife and I we had our anniversary. We we're looking through our wedding album, and I'm looking through the wedding album. And I'm like, God, I look like shit. Like I'm puffy. I'm pasty. I'm sweating my balls off because we got married outside in late September, but was here in D.C., and it was, like, 85, so mm-hmm. I'm just sweating my ass off, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't like how I look. But I was like, but if I don't like how I looked then, that must mean I look pretty fucking good right now. Yep. And you know what? I look way better now than I did when I got married. Yeah, I think you sort this stuff out as you get your, your life together and your habits. Like, you get married at basically, like, the very end of, all, I mean, you and I at least both did. You got married younger than me. But, like, right when you stop making the worst decision every single time you have a decision to make. And so, for me, like, yeah, being, like, a jowly 30 years old, it was, like, it was mostly because, like, all I knew was basically, like, well, you just drink scotch until you fall asleep. That's how it works. Yeah. Like, it's, no one's invented a better way to go to bed than that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now I know better. Uh, Jonathan writes in, tennis is the only sport I can think of that is substantially different in its play at the major opens because of the surfaces. Grass, clay, and hardcourt surfaces change the game to such a degree that greats like Nadal and Federer have obvious best and worst surfaces. When this dude just won the U.S. Open, I think he means Tiafo, right? He said, how is yep. he off the hardcourt? What other major sports could and should adopt a multiple surface strategy? And I ask you that knowing that there is a difference between grass and field turf, although that is not really... I don't know that there are that people keep metrics of that of how individuals play versus. It's not like it used to be though, because I think field turf is a much better substance than, uh, like it's just a better technology than astroturf was. Oh my god! If if you remember what baseball was like in the seventies and eighties, I don't remember the seventies, but I do remember the way that the Cardinals teams that Whitey Herzog was the manager of. They were built 
for the shitty surface that they played on, which was basically like a parking lot with a carpet over it. Yeah, and the, like the run and shoot lines were built for the um, for the Silverdome. Yeah, turf. Greatest Show on Turf. Yep, same similar thing. That it was like there was. Uh, I mean, Greatest Show on Turf. I think was like they had that was like an early field turf field. Might right? have been, I believe so. Yes, but it was definitely the idea that like it was a faster surface. Like it gave you like you know a sort of a truer. It was like you could cut more easily, but also like one time in ten, your knee would turn completely inside out. Yep, and that was the way it was with with baseball that like you look at Andre Dawson's career in Montreal, that it was like, he was not like a guy that was like, would chop the ball into the ground. It shortened his career having to play the outfield running around and sliding around on that shitty surface. But the Cardinals, and I think the Royals to a certain extent around the same time, but it was mostly like that series where it was the Cardinals and the Royals. One of the first baseball world series that I remember caring about, I think it was 85 the Cardinals would basically chop the ball into the surface and bust ass for first base. And it worked because of the, you know, they had built a team that was designed to win that way. And that's not, I think it's the closest thing to, and I don't know that tennis is even doing as much of this, but where there's like, there used to be just clay court specialists. Yeah. And well, they like would Nadal. Be, yes. I mean, but Nadal is, is an all time great. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, surface. yeah. But there were guys, uh, I remember my old uh, roommate, Jonathan, loved a guy named, uh, last name was Verisategui, who was a Spanish dude. I don't even know if he bothered to play in the U.S. Open, but he would like make the quarters of the French Open doing weird clay court shit and then would, but like wasn't a competitor on grass or on hard court. Well, that's also like guys like Gorny Venisevich who like had massive serves that like on grass uh, would go a billion miles an hour yep. when they would hit the grass. On clay, the clay reduces the speed more considerably once it hits the surface. So that, yeah. like, his game was essentially neutralized on that surface. I don't think I would want that. I don't think I would want that in other sports because tennis has been around so long and has, and has had that, those multiple surfaces for so long that it's good. Whereas, you know, I don't want basketball being played on, like, blacktop, even though that sounds yeah. really cool. And I don't want, like, I've had enough NFL games played on. Uh, alternate services that nobody wanted to be alternate services, i.e., like Soldier Field or Heinz right, Field, yeah. right? Or like you know, like like you see games, like I see I like seeing games in the snow. That's cool, but like when you see like a like a game that's played in mud or on turf that's just really shitty quality, yeah. Like the like players the hate it, and you don't like it either. Kind of like worried that someone's going to get hurt the whole time. Yeah, it stinks. It's not. It's not. It's not quite what I want. So like. Like, I think the, the novelty of being like, hey, let's make the field a ball pit. Like, I think that might be kind of interesting for in your mind for like half a second or like as like a like an MTV movie award sketch. But like, I don't think you actually want it. Yeah. Like, I think the idea of more stylistic diversity in sports is like I harp on it. Like, it's really like it's something that I think would be good for baseball, especially you sort of see it. I had, we apparently, like, I was real critical of the Guardians before the season. And, like, that's a team that's going to win their extremely shitty division playing a very weird type of game. Yeah, they ain't played nobody. Yeah. Like, well, they haven't played anybody. They, they like, played... they literally have played, like, it was like 40 odd games against teams with winning records. <laughs> like, it's incredible. That's amazing. The but they also, like, they play weirdly. You know, they have a bunch of guys on their team that are slugging, like, 325. And that's, like, they make it work, you know, they make it work in that division. But like, I give credit for that when it's there. I just feel like 
it feels less virtuosic than the idea of, uh, you know, tennis is the only sport that can give us a guy that's a, a master of one surface and pretty mid on others. And I think that's neat. Yeah, we can leave it like that. Brandon Nixon, Chantel Holder are our producers. Nora Ritchie is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. Thanks to Roth and me, you get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And subscribe to Defector, too, while you're at it. Go there now, defector.com. And we will see you next week. Roth, been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye.